Father, we do thank you for this morning, for the, the, the privilege of worship. We thank you for this class this morning, for those that are interested in learning more about this particular church, that we uh, are one expression of your church here in Mobile. We pray we are a faithful expression. And as we do, we pray for our uh, sister churches in the community. We pray for the faithfulness of the gospel and your word to be proclaimed in our community. We think about our friends at Three Circle and those at Covenant here in the Midtown area and and those at Spring Hill Baptist and Dolphin Way Baptist and Grace Community and Mars Hill and Harbor Church. And I I know there are many, uh, Mount Hebron, we know there are many around us that are meeting now. We pray. We pray for the gospel to be heralded from the pages of Scripture, God, may we be a, a city, a people that love you and love your word. We thank you for this church. We thank you for those you have brought, for the gifts, for the resources, God, for the heart. We pray that we would be faithful to the vision that you have given us as your word describes. We pray for our pastor, Ryan. Uh, Ryan offered his family as they continue on sabbatical. God, would you be with him as they are away? Would they be refreshed and be invigorated uh, to continue to do the work of ministry? Reminded today of Tony Holiday as he continues to recover and do rehab and treatment. Pray for him and his battle with cancer. God, would you eradicate the cancer? Would you strengthen his health? You give Diane strength as she walks alongside him, we pray. Lord, we thank you for the, the, the recent babies born. We pray for your hand and protection for mommy and baby and families. We pray for the numerous ladies that are, are pregnant in their congregation. We ask for your, your hands to be over them, care to be with them, to keep them during this time and preparation, God. We pray for us as we are a church, a church of singles, a church of young marrieds, a church of families, a church with older members, a church with infants, Lord, that we would be a church that walks together faithfully in the stages of life, that we would continue to press forward with the truth of who you are. That you are our need, you, you meet our needs, you are our satisfaction, our salvation, you are our righteousness, you are our helper, our friend in every stage of life. That you are our God and we are your people. Lord, we pray that. May we believe that, may we embody that. And now we pray that which we need most is to hear from you. Our words uh, are empty but your word is alive. And so God, minister to us now through your scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing on in Ephesians. We've been making our way for several months now. We're in chapter 6. Uh, would you rise as we read God's word? This is probably a familiar passage to you, six ten through 20. Paul says these words, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought. This is God's word to us as people. You may be seated. We're near the end, um, and I've said this, this is a famous, the most famous probably passage on this idea of spiritual warfare. Um, uh, Paul talks about all kind of things, but I've said that this is not uh, something I want to say not new here in chapter 6, but actually throughout the book, uh, Paul has been pushing us in this direction um, the, the sermon series is Cosmic Christ, Conquering Church. That sounds cute. Uh, could be a great sci-fi movie. Uh, but that's what we actually think, that Christ is not this uh, uh, small uh, uh, God person, uh, but actually is over all of the universe, the cosmos. He rules and reigns it, so much so that he uh, has his enemies underfoot. We'll read that in a little bit. And then he, he gives us, this gospel message that is power to us, the church, that as we face difficulties and challenges and trials, we are to push back the darkness through the church and the people. I love when I hear Bryce. So thank you, Bryce, already talking to me. That's a good sign. It's a good sign. Um, he is the cosmic Christ. We're going to do this in two parts. We're going to look at uh, the first few verses of this passage today, 10 through 13, and then we're going to look at 14 through 20 next week. Um, and so we'll kind of break it up as we talk through it. Paul has done uh, early in the book uh, deep theology, uh, good uh, Trinitarian theology. Then the last few weeks we've talked about a lot of practical things. It's, it's like imagine uh, a coach, you know, that gives a, a pregame speech and he, he, he gives the big picture, 30,000 feet, and and, and then he tells you about the practical things that we got to do on defense, and we got to do this on offense, and we got to execute here, and we got to do that. And then at the very end, he says, okay, guys, finally. And he gives them a charge, right? He gets them motivated as they, they go in to the game or they begin to take on the, the opponent. Paul's done a lot in these six chapters, and he's at the very end, and he says, finally. And he gives us these words to us. We're going to look at first the problem, the problem that we face here, and then we're going to see uh, the provision for the problem, and finally we'll look at what's our response, what do we actually do, and we'll talk about most of that next week, but that's kind of the course we're going to go on. First thing, the problem. Um, the problem is, as Lee mentioned, is that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. He opposes us, the people of God, the text says repeatedly to stand, 
against the schemes of the devil. To stand, we wrestle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are to withstand in the evil day. Are we clear? There's evil, there's darkness, and we are called to withstand against this force, this opposition. The repeated command to stand or withstand means we are under attack. That's not new to us. In this day and age, this is true of the church, the people of God throughout the ages, is that there is an opposition that we have to withstand. And so the, the majority of this sermon is going to be on this first point, the problem, because I think the greatest challenge we have as Americans and as Westerners is to actually believe that there is an enemy out there that we face. Don't know that we believe it. There is an enemy that is supernatural, that we can't see or necessarily touch, and yet we're, he is opposed to us and what we are for and about, and we are to wrestle with him. Um, that's not going to get you too many points in the office. Like if you're in the office talking about the devil and Satan, like your boss is going to be like, I don't know about this guy, Right? He's not, you're not gonna, that language isn't going to help you move up the track of your professional career for most places. It's going to make you think, wow, this guy's kind of kind of kooky, right? What's he talking about, the devil? I mean, we're modern people, right? I mean, yeah, we watch movies, but are we talking about a reality? And I think part of the, the work of evil in the, the world is to get us to dismiss it, to minimize it, to laugh about it, even to glorify it. We, we show in film and in music and in and, 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 and so many ways, uh, we, 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 uh, we minimize. We treat something very, that's very serious, very casually. That is darkness and evil, right? The, the slimy... Uh, conniving, sneaky way of darkness we celebrate. We, we, we glorify. We act as though it's just entertainment or it's just neutral. And yet, there is a force that is working against us. Um, you know, and, and, and we're approaching Halloween and, um, you know, uh, culturally, we have taken something that is serious. And, and again, I'll, I'll just say this. I'm not, I'm not one of those that's against Halloween altogether. People have different convictions or trick-or-treating. My family trick-or-treats. Um, so th- don't put me in that camp. But we've taken something that is very serious and we've minimized it, right? Devils and horns and pitchforks and little faces and witches. And, and we've sort of glorified this thing. And I think the, the enemy uses that for Christians to, see, to, to make evil sort of casual, or something to laugh about, or as though it's not a big deal. In some ways, we can celebrate Halloween because as Christians, if we truly understand it, we know we have the last laugh, right? We have, Christ has stepped on the neck of evil, and we can celebrate in the face of evil his victories. That's true. And yet, the cultural moment we live in has caused us to think very casually, minimally about the work of evil. And yes, an evil one. Satan in 
the world. And Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, right? He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or if you've read before in your, little, in your Bible, there's a footnote, right? It says the bottom, it says, or evil one. Deliver us from evil. Evil is an adjective, which means we have to supply the noun. Deliver us from evil thing, su- substance, something. One, the evil one. Deliver us from Father, deliver us from the evil one. There is a real enemy. We have the world, the systems, we have our own flesh, and there is an evil one. There is the devil at work against us. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The burden of this passage for us modern folks is to believe that. That embedded in the systems and the culture and the things we hear and see and do, there is a force that's hard to get our hands around or to name that is working against us and the things of God in us. As the devil, Paul clarifies that there's not just one force, there's a whole range of them. Clinton Arnold says, there's a whole range of evil spiritual forces on various, of various ranks, authority, and, and capacity, capabilities working against us. There's an army of evil against the church. About the language of the demon-possessed, the language of, of legion, for we are many. There are forces working against you. Again, that doesn't sell too great in the corporate world. Right? That's going to put you in a category as educated, intellectual folks that you may not want to be in. And yet that is what Scripture teaches us. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He uses all those language, rulers, authority. He's using both pagan languages trying to describe, he's using some Old Testament languages, trying to describe, basically saying there are all kind of spirits, demonic forces working against you and the church, Christian. Listen to a, a little video that it was actually N.T. Wright did it, and he, he spoke about how we like to have the idea, we say the devil so we can name it, so we now have evil in a box, we kind of know what it is. And yet, by virtue of evil, evil works sort of nameless ways. It sneaks in, it's slimy, it's deceptive, snake-like. We don't know it's there. We think something is mundane or neutral. And yet, there's the evil force working against us. Be on guard. Be aware Evil's at work. We're tempted to dismiss it. Michael Green states, You simply cannot write Satan out of the human story and then imagine that the story is basically unchanged. So we can't be Christians in a modern era and say, Well, yeah, but like pitchforks and Satan, and that's like a middle-aged thing, right? We've kind of progressed from that. So let's take that out and then think the story of Scripture is the same. It's not. Because it's a coherent story that we live in that involves an evil one that does not want well for you. 
Jesus says that, the, that he is a thief. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We must not be naive. He says here, he speaks about the schemes of the devil. And our first scheme is that we deny the demonic altogether. And Lee stole my quote. Thank you, Lee. It's good to know we're on the same page, though, right? Good to know that. Um, I'll say this. Typically, and the more educated you are, uh, the more sophisticated you are, the harder it is to believe this, right? Um, folks living in animistic parts and tribal parts of Africa on dirt floors, they know there's spiritual warfare. <laughs> they know there's demonic. But you get educated, you, you accumulate, you develop, you're a thinker. Ah, we, we put that thing, that demon stuff, that's kind of... That's kind of hokey. Lewis says this, as Lee read, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to, to, to feel an excessive unhealth, unhealthy interest in them. That's also a temptation, right? To, to be consumed by it. And we see different sort of tribes of Christians that are, that's all about evil and all about it. No, we're all about Christ. That's central but to be all about Christ, we have to know there's an adversary, right? So let's keep it in the right order. He says this, the devils are equally pleased by both errors. They hail a materialist, that's there is no devil, and a magician, that's everything's about the devil and evil with the same pleasure. Talking about the struggle to believe in Satan, J.C. Ryle says this, we may be sure that upon the subject of the devil and his power, we are far more likely to believe too little than to believe too much. So that's, that's my starting assumption with you, is that we believe too little about an evil one. We probably haven't thought much about it. We say the Lord's Prayer, but we don't actually think about what he's saying to pray. This is true. Thomas Aquinas in the 12th century said this, the greatest thinkers in the history of the world acknowledge the presence of the devil. In some ways, the, the uh, privilege, in some ways the freedom not to think about the evil one is a, is a privilege of Western enlightened elites. <laughs> we have enough stuff, enough gadgets, enough things to buy our way, to move things around, to develop, to to insulate ourselves, to clean up our world, that we don't have to think about the demonic forces. Last week, or we talked about uh, slavery in some way. We talked about sex trafficking, right? We don't have to see some of those things. Or not. Do you not think the forces of evil are at work there when people are being purchased and sold? They're at work. It may not be in our face here. It's at work. It is... Our unbelief in the spiritual realm is arrogance on the landscape of history. Don't be too smart. Let's take the Bible serious. That's the first scheme. The problem is the devil. The scheme, first scheme is that we, we are tempted to believe he doesn't exist. The second scheme is that Satan works through lies, deception, confusion, and chaos. You know, uh, it's interesting that this happened with the, the Catholic priest, uh, Father Crow, and the, the exorcism. Anybody, y'all familiar with that? Did y'all see that? Whole lanyard, did a whole thing on it. And um, it, we don't hear that very often, right? We don't hear about that whole talk. And, and while demon possession and exorcism it is a thing, and there are times and places here, um, 
I think Satan is much smarter than that. (laughs) Much smarter than that. He is called the what? The accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. Often he works in our lives to the voice of accusation. Do you know that? Do you know that voice? You know? God, God can't forgive me. He doesn't know what I've done. You don't know me. I'm too bad. I'm too messed up. I'm too, I'm too whatever. Or voices of accusations. I'm, I'm not enough. I can never be useful. I'm too fat. I'm too dumb. I'm too skinny. I'm too whatever. I'm too socially awkward. I'm too this. I'm too that. I don't have a place. There's no role. I don't have any gifts. I don't have this. I don't have enough money. I don't have an accusation. Accusation. Does that sound like the voice of Jesus? Does that sound from? Does that sound like the page of scripture? So when you hear that, so th- this is what happens to me. Confession. When uh, when I experience something challenging in my unbelief, immediately the the sky is falling. Right? Something happens, and I've got to work through it. I've got to apply the truth, I've got to trust, I believe, and immediately I thought, oh, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and I get in this, right, anxiety spiral, everything. That's, we are bound to Christ. He has secured us. We are his. We belong to him. He has us. We can't, nothing can separate us from Christ. We read that in our call to worship. That train, yeah, that's part of my flesh that I have to overcome by faith and repent of. But it's also the, the voice, the still small voice, right, of evil. He'll never love you. You fail too much. Again, that's the work of the enemy. Schemes. He removes confidence in the goodness of God. It's the garden. Did God really say? He's holding out on you, Christians. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't be going through these trials and these difficulties. Those thoughts are a part of the work of the evil one. That's the second scheme. The third scheme, briefly, is that Satan, not only do we, are we tempted, does he tempt us to believe he doesn't exist um, altogether, or that we think it's only in these radical expressions and we forget that it's actually through lies, accusations, deception, but finally, part of his scheme is, in, I think in our particular culture, is just to spiritual apathy. You're a Christian, you know the Bible, you, you know, you may believe, yeah, there's an enemy, but you're just lulled asleep, right? We're just, we've got entertainment, distractions, anything we, you know, Bored, just turn on Netflix. We can watch for hours. Just unconcerned. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, In that same passage, Lewis says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Who's can't go sleep? Rockabye baby, right? American Christianity. This is a this is this is a spiritual battle. Be awake. 
Be attuned. We can talk about the armor. We'll get to that. Be awake to the reality that we live in a spiritually charged world. Not so comfortable, so entertained, so materialistic, so busy, right? We forget that we're in a battle. All right. I think I beat that horse to death. The problem is serious. The last points are quick, I promise. The second one is that uh, it's so serious that we can't defeat it. And so we need God's provision for the problem. This also strikes against our modern sensibilities. But if we realize the problem is supernatural, then what must happen? We must have what kind of solution? A man's solution? We must have a supernatural solution. So we've got a problem, an enemy that's greater than us and ourselves, that we need a God solution, provision. He says in verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God. Remember when Joshua had the people of God and they were out of Egypt and they were moving to the promised land. And they're about to face enemies and battles. And, he, and the Lord said what? Be strong and very courageous. There's the Canaanites, right? The Philistines. The, they're all in the land. And Paul ups the ante here. He says, it's not flesh and blood. You're not going across the Jordan fighting the, the, the Canaanites in the land. You're actually fighting something you can't see and touch. There's a spiritual battle, a cosmic world going on. And you're engaging that. It's not merely human opponents. So Paul reiterates several times, in the Lord, in the strength of his might. And we are Americans, we are people of action. Like, we got a problem, let's, salute, let's find a solution, right? We got an enemy, let's get it together. Let's raise some troops, let's go do it. It won't work. We don't have a chance. It's a spiritual battle. Now that, if you've never wrestled with that, that, that should be humbling to you. M- most of us, when we have a ch- challenge at home, we say, okay, what do we got to do? What's the solution? Let's do a pro-con. Let's figure out, do we have resources? Let's come up with a game plan, right? We're, we're action people. And the first thing here is to say, we've got an enemy, and in ourselves, when we look, we cannot do anything against him. We are a bootstrap culture, right? Pull it up, get to work. To believe the gospel is to come to the end of yourself, to say, I can't do anything against that enemy. I'm overpowered. We're insufficient. We're told from childhood we can do anything we want to be, right? We we can defeat any battle. We We can do it, you know? Kids are told it. You can play in the NBA one day, you know? Like both parents are 5'5", five, five, and you're, you know, you're going to play. No, you're not, actually. You actually can't, right? We're, we're, these are spiritual forces. We, we can't. We cannot come, overcome the evil one. In fact, in our own strength, we do it ourselves. It leads us towards isolation, towards bondage, towards fear, towards our own destruction. But we are strong in the Lord. And this is why I said at the beginning of the, this sermon series, I think the theme of this whole thing is that the Lord has done what he has done in this cosmic space. Reminds you of uh, Ephesians 1, 18. 
I think this is sort of the thesis. He's praying for us, the church, and, and the Ephesians, have it, that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you would know the hope you've called into. 19, that you would know the immeasurable greatness of his power that he's worked us, his great might. That he worked, this power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. Where is that place? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That sound familiar? That sounds like the enemies we're facing, those in rule and authority and power. And yet Christ has been resurrected and he is above them. He is above every name that is named. He put all things under his feet. Jesus uses those rules and authorities as his footstool. It's like the ottoman, you know. Hey, kids, would you bring the ottoman up? Dad's feet, just put them up, right? Jesus puts his feet on wickedness and evil. To us, it's more powerful. To us, it's overwhelming. To him, he has conquered them. Satan, through his greatest weapon, death, at Jesus. And three days later, he rose in victory. Glorious. And we get to hide ourselves in him. We get to see the enemy and say, wow, I don't know what's going on, but it, it seems bigger than me. These voices are strong. The, 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 the opposition is there, but I'm found in Christ. I'm hidden in him. We are in his resurrection. In our death, his death, our death, his life, our life. We're hidden in him. And so we're strong. We're strong. We trust. And then, and then he equips us, and it says we're given the whole armor of God. The, the whole armor is the idea of we have everything we need, but the armor belongs to God. Do you, you think about that? It's his. The, the, the language of the armor speaks of, think about the, all the pictures of a Roman soldier with all the, the, the armor they have and the, the weapons they have, but it also points us back to the Old Testament of language about God or the Messiah who is the divine warrior. He has his armor and he gave it to us. I, I remember being, uh, I don't know, middle school maybe. I went to a minor league baseball game and uh, enjoyed baseball. And I remember standing around afterwards and talking to a bunch of the, the, the minor league players. And one of them, he goes, hey, hang on, kid. He goes to the dugout. And he came back and he gave me his bat. Gave me his, his wooden bat. Man, you know, as a middle school kid, I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. I've got a wooden bat from minor league. I don't know. He probably never made it very far. I don't even remember his name. But I had his bat, like real bat, right? It's his weapon in the game. Right? So we've got an enemy that's greater than us, but we go out in the power of the Lord, and then the divine warrior God gives us his armor. He goes, yeah, here's my breastplate. <laughs> here's my sword. Here's my helmet. So we fight the battle with the armor of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing how we take the spiritual battle and we make it about us somehow? You know how we do that? I mean, remember, who, who beat Goliath? David beat Goliath. Right? Do you remember Joshua? What did Joshua? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. You remember that song? Joshua fought the battle. You remember that story? I shared this Have you read the story of Jericho? Joshua, they marched around the city and blew a trumpet. 
And the whole wall collapsed, and the people melted in fear of the Lord. And we've seen Joshua fought the battle, Jericho. Joshua didn't do anything. He played an instrument. He's in the middle school band, you know. It's like the Lord, the divine warrior God, defeated Jericho. He does that in us and for us, right? You get a little feisty, but come on. How do we take those stories, how do we take New Testament theology and make it somehow about us? Go fight your Goliaths, guys. You can do it. No, you can't. You can't. You have no resources. But you're in Christ. You're forgiven. You're empowered. He resources you. You are in him for the battle. Let's think. We throw ourselves upon the Lord. We clothe ourselves with his armor. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We can... See the evil forces and we don't have to be afraid because we're in Christ. Finally, and this is next week's sermon, but we're going to prime the pump here. Action. We do take action. We do take action. Uh, it's both defensive and offensive. Chapter 4, Paul has spoken about the Christian life as a walk. We're walking, right? We're walking we're walking, living out the gospel, walking the gospel out. But here the imagery changes to warfare. Now we're in battle. And the first thing is it's offensive. He says, stand or stand firm. He says it four times. Or withstand, hold fast, stand. It's this idea of, of, of we have the, the fort and we're being attacked. And so we're supposed to, as a warrior, as a soldier, stand our ground. You know, you hear the commander, hold the line, hold the line, Stand. There's this charged, be rooted, stand firm. We're being attacked. And so next week we'll see shield of faith because there's darts coming at us, right? We've got armor, so we're protected. We're standing against it. We're holding on. Be strong. Don't give in. One commentator says, we have the peace of Christ purchased at the cross. But it's in the midst of a spiritual battle. In Christ, the forces of darkness are defeated but are not yet harmless. The, the, the forces of darkness, they're underfoot of Jesus. They're being swept away, but while they're going, they're kicking and screaming, aren't they? And they're flailing whatever they can. They're going down. But they're, they're fighting going down, and we stand in Christ against it. And finally, it's not just defensive, it's offensive. It's active. We put on the armor. We have new clothes to put on, not the old ways, not the old lies, not the old systems, but we put on the armor that God gives us, which is the gospel. We'll talk about that next week, and it's all its facets. We put it on, and then we take up the sword of the Spirit. We have a weapon, too. We're, we're not just passive, we're aggressive. And a, spoiler alert for next week, the, the weapon is the Word of God, <laughs> you know. Like we're protected, we've got this on, we've got stuff coming at us. But Jesus says that in, in the kingdom, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. So we're not just passive here like, uh-oh, we're like, attack. They're the forces, we see them, we're in Christ, we're protected. Attack, church, do ministry, do missions, share the gospel, believe the truth, speak it, encourage it. Push back the darkness, the forces. He says we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but we're still wrestling against rulers and authorities. And how do we wrestle? We wrestle 
with spiritual forces, with spiritual means. The Spirit of God indwells us, and we've been given the Word of God that cuts and fights. And we've been given the community, the people of God, together to fight, to be on the offense. Next week, we're going to look at 14 through 20. We'll talk about all the aspects of the armor. But I felt like today, the, 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 one of the hardest parts, of, or one of the burdens of preaching is to gain a hearing. And most of us know this passage, but most of us struggle to believe that there's a real enemy out there. We just don't believe that, or we certainly minimize it. We've got to know that there is an enemy And when we know there's an enemy and we take a look at it, we realize we're insufficient for the battle, which should throw us upon the mercy of God and his provision in Christ. He protects us, he keeps us, he equips us in himself. Don't be naive. Don't don't drift off to sleep, Christians. Don't do it. Don't entertain yourself to death. It's a war. Trust the Lord. Be strong. In the Lord, in the strength of his might. Let's pray. Father, we pray for this reality to be our reality. Not that we tremble in fear, but actually that we have confidence that when we belong to you, there is no, there's no force too great. In ourselves, we should tremble in fear. But in Christ, we can stand, we can withstand, we can hold the line Because we are in Jesus. We are forgiven. There is no condemnation. There is no accusation in the courtroom that would stand because of Christ on our behalf. We are righteous. We are loved. And we are empowered for the mission. We are a conquering church through the gospel message. Pray that we would know this reality and we would live into it. Even this day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.